so just to you know continue with this particular subject of today's so we know that prithviraj chauhan fought two battles and uh, the battle was fought in terrain which i think comes in correct me if i which i think comes in comes in haryana i guess uh, near haryana you can say and he he won the first battle but he lost the second battle so uh, can we can you delve into this you know when the battle what was the reasons for the battle when it started and uh, what was the what were the factors you know why prithviraj chauhan lost the second battle unfortunately so i'll i'll start with the uh, first battle of tarang so it happens uh, early uh, late 1190 and early 1191 ad so from uh, gauri started from lahore with his army and he he comes in and uh, takes up the uh, outpost fort of sarhind so when he crosses the river satluj and comes in uh, first fort that he you know faces or encounters uh, from the indian side or chauhan confederation side was sarhind yeah now he takes up sarhind and he you know he he installed a garrison in the fort of uh, roughly 1200 people okay under a an officer named ziauddin tulaki yeah. then he he tells tulaki that okay i have been called back to ghazni for something and you know i have to leave but i will come back with better preparation after 8 months so you hold this place for 8 months okay and i'll come back and then we'll you know proceed from here for further invasions mm. then while while he was on his uh, return journey by that time prithviraj chauhan because he wasn't going to take things lying down right so he comes sprinting with his army to reclaim his land and uh, so gauri was informed that uh, an entire army of uh, indians is, uh, is coming in and uh, so gauri turns back and you know he arrives to uh, encounter this uh, army so they face in the uh, field uh, which is uh, uh, it was an open field somewhere near the village called uh, it, now it's called nidana okay uh, that, that's the name of the village uh, nidana village mm-hmm. uh, so that, that that's the place that the battlefield where where it happened so what happened was uh, gauri and prithviraj both the forces were uh, face to face and uh, the first charge was laid by the uh, chauhan forces okay. so what they did was the they they basically so let, let let's look at the army composition as well so at, by that time the uh, the indian armies yeah uh, they they were uh, at that time a mix of cavalry infantry and war elephants okay, okay. Uh, i mean the, the, if you look at the indian climate and geography uh, it's not very conducive for uh, you know raising very the best cavalry breeds okay it, it's not a good geography as far as horses are concerned okay uh, so uh, anyway i mean they they did import a lot of horses and there were efforts of local breeding as well but i'll, I'll not get into that the the fact that's relevant for us is that at that time the indians did not indian armies did not have 
horses which were at par with the muslim armies or better they were slightly inferior uh, horses as compared to the muslim armies that's number 1 number 2 is the numbers the cavalry or the horses war worthy horses in india were lesser even after imports which were very costly imports the numbers were lesser so it was a mix a mumbo jumbo of little bit of cavalry then a lot of infantry and then some war elephants so uh with with roughly around 20000 cavalry or or maybe more i, I think it was yeah i think 20000 cavalry at that time yeah. and some 25 30000 infantry and all of that uh he faced a uh, uh, shahabuddin ghori's army now ghori's army so what happens is that uh, every single uh, you know section or or flank uh, that, or wing that you have in the army you typically put it under a war general and at that time in the medieval ages what used to happen was since you know you would delegate the military to to a great extent decentralize it so these feudal samantas or generals would hold their own armies under their command at all times and only when the king demands them summons them you come with your army we are going to fight a battle only then they come and assemble their army okay so the main king or the kingdom it would not have a huge standing army that's specially true about india okay so then uh, so like I, i was going to say that every you know general would have a, a number of uh, army under him so if you look at the numbers which are fielded in famous battles throughout history even going to the mughal era you get a decent uh, estimate of how many people would a general typically have under him now since the muslim armies were cavalry dominated you would uh, the estimate is that 10000 cavalry under each general okay so in tarain one the by cavalry uh, gori had more numbers but by overall numbers prithviraj had better head count okay so anyway the cavalry charges the rajput cavalry you know they they stole the initiative they charged first okay and what they did was with that frontal cavalry dash it was a furious charge they enveloped the gurudh army okay. okay now let me come to why this was really really key see what happens is these nomadic cavalry forces uh, their uh, favorite tactics are uh, maneuver tactics and harrying tactics what they do is uh, they they'll play games with you you know they the feigned retreats and hit and run kind of things and they'll uh, flank you from all sides and all those things mm-hmm. and they had better horses they can easily sprint as well uh, in, in terms of feigned retreats mm-hmm. uh, so if you want to fight with a force like that the best you can do is to cramp them in one place don't let them play those you know maneuvering tricks of theirs okay once you let them do that it's game over unless you really you know have evolved a very out of the box uh, answer to cavalry which indians should have but for some reason we didn't and we kept trying to you know uh, equal them in terms of cavalry but anyways so they enveloped the gurid cavalry completely what happens is that by the time this this took this uh, thing took place 
the infantry and the war elephants they got the time to catch up to the gurudh the same uh, main mass of the gurudh army so once that happened now the gurus were packed and the main mass of indian soldiers has also arrived now it's all pelmel i mean the ranks are muddled and it comes down to man to man combat mm. right so it's close combat sword to sword and yep. this is where the rajputs had you know bettered the turks which is acknowledged by even the late muslim historians of 20th century like uh, abu bin muhammad habibullah if you look at uh, his profile he was a prominent uh, historian of 20th century so in individual fighting the, the moment you know those horse maneuver tactic advantages are taken away from the scene you are fighting man to man that's where the indians would defeat the turks okay so that's what happened and one by one all the flanks of uh, shahabuddin gori evaporated and uh, but to give credit to gori he did not he did not run away so he charged with his uh, center which was under his command yeah. and that's how he he got uh, he got injured he uh, so the vanguard or the front uh, the haraval which you call it in hindi uh, of indian army was commanded by the tomar king uh, govindraj tomar also known as chahadpal tomar so they had a, a direct clash gauri and uh, chahadpal tomar so when gauri threw his lance uh, chahadpal tomar's uh, teeth were broken off and then chahadpal tomar threw his uh, lance at gauri which uh, uh, pierced the arm of gauri and he was bleeding profusely so so in that situation that's where uh, things begin to get muddled because now the muslim sources some would say uh, a soldier you know he got at the back of gauri and he carried him away from yeah, the battle yeah, he carried on his horse back and he was saved you know that kind of narrative exactly yeah some would say that okay he was injured the army started away then in the night they came back for him and they identified him in injured condition and they carried him off okay okay so all those things are, are there uh, then after the battle uh, the uh, the chohan forces they went to the outpost of sarhind okay uh, that's where they seized the, the fort and they tried to get it back and it took a lot lot more than uh, you would expect it, it took at least 8 to 10 months uh, actually oh to get that fort vacated yeah that's so i mean it yeah pro- probably some some kind of uh, deficiency in uh, for seizing the fort uh, techniques or I, i don't know what but uh, uh, yeah it, it took a lot of time to to get that uh, outpost back mm. so that was uh, about the rank first and uh, yeah that garrison eventually surrendered and then some few months after that gori came back uh, for the rank 2 so if you uh, if you look at the uh, difference uh, between tarain first and uh, tarain second the the main difference that you see is of uh, preparation okay. right what i mean by preparation is that um, in the second battle of tarain the gurit forces they not only did their homework better but their execution was textbook okay so initially they applied some diplomacy 
okay that uh, for, to to keep the chohans engaged uh, before the second battle and they passed the day like that okay in the night both the armies were camped uh, in front of each other and uh, between them there was this uh, this channel of uh, saraswati so then uh, the uh, w- what the gurids did was at the night they they lit up their lamps mashal or whatever you call it yeah. uh, at their tents to to give a give a you know an impression that yes we are still here and camped in our camp and this whole army and in the night quietly they you know moved out and uh, sort of circumvented the scene and they reached the rear of the chohan camp and that's where they uh, a, a bit before daybreak they delivered their first uh, charge so what they did was the the army was divided into uh, groups of heavy cavalry and uh, cavalry archers the divisions and uh, then they applied their harrying tactics so what they would do is there would be a group of cavalry archers they would come in they would shoot arrows okay if you go and chase them they would run okay and if you uh, you know indulge into a longer run against them you are basically splitting away from your main body right that's when the uh, rest of the forces would come in suddenly flank you and finish you off okay so these this kind of i mean you can't stay here you can't chase them and run and the reason why these tactics uh, they could apply these tactics was that in the second battle of tarain uh, the forces which uh, came in from the indian side were considerably smaller as compared to the first battle of tarain okay yeah that that's uh, verified from uh, multiple sources like uh, there is viruddhavidhi vidhvans of uh, you know uh, uh, lakshmidhar i think yeah that, that was the name uh, so he he writes that he he was the descendant of one of the war generals of prithviraj and he says that uh, my ancestor was busy in another battle at the time of this this war and he couldn't reach in time so uh, that's how prithviraj got defeated then there is another source which is hamir mahakavya it says that there was a, a general named as udayaditya uh, he was asked by prithviraj to to come for the battle and he arrived late by the time he arrived the battle was already over and prithviraj was taken captive so uh, like that there are multiple you know reasons which lead us to the conclusion that the indian army in tarain 2 was considerably smaller uh, you know as compared to the first battle so not only was the gurit preparation better the indian preparation was worse i don't want i don't know if we should blame prithviraj for it or whatever but that's how the situation was so with those harrying tactics they began to you know harass the uh, rajput army and uh, then once the you know the, the rajput army was tired and completely out of order that's when the main army came in uh, it was a uh, day by that time uh, long since the morning then they did the main battle okay and that's where they uh, you know used their heavy cavalry and uh, what worry had also done was he left behind a part of his army you know few kilometers a few miles behind the main battle scene 
that was to give a wrong impression to Prithviraj about his numbers. So when the final stage of the battle was coming up, he called in those reserves to to go for the final kill. Right. Uh, by that time, the Rajputs were exhausted. So uh, the the Muslim sources unanimously state that in that battle, uh, every one from the Indian side was uh, cut to the last man. Okay. So it's not like okay, typically an army gets defeated and they run away. Right. you do have some casualties but a large part of the army they run away and they survive that was not the case in tarain 2 they are saying that everybody was cut to the last man okay but again like i said this was not the full force which gets corroborated by the immediate aftermath of the battle right after the battle the there was some chauhan chieftain who attacked in the uh, hansi fort Uh, it's a bit northwest to delhi uh, one of the important forward bases of guruj after tarai mm. so they attacked there it was a serious serious siege and qutbuddin uh, abak who was the topmost guruj in india at that time he had to make fast you know marches cavalry marches through the night to quickly reach hansi otherwise he would have lost hansi okay then there was uh, um, hariraj chauhan okay he captured ajmer and then he uh, he sent uh, raiding parties up to delhi okay like like this there there were many and then uh, once qutbuddin abak was holed up in uh, ajmer and there was a combined army uh, involving the solankis as well they, with their raid they had completely circled uh, qutbuddin abak and he asked shahabuddin gori for help and quickly you know there, there were reinforcements sent from the side of gori and that's how qutbuddin abak was saved the point that i'm trying to make is uh, and then there is the chandavar branch of uh, bharatpal chauhan they also kept fighting uh, they then there was the chauhan branch of uh, ranthambore they kept fighting for a century after the rank so what i'm trying to say is that lot of firepower of these uh, this kingdom the chauhan clan uh, it was uh, you know intact and they kept on fighting for a long time even after tarain so what it suggests is the the numbers in tarain were lower and you know as the number of people who were supposed to participate a lot of them could not for for different reasons so that that's how it uh, it it rolled out yeah right right absolutely i think <laughs> that was the unfortunate part but you know i have a lot many questions about this uh, these two battles now yeah. when we talk about the first battle we see that mohammad of gori is uh, injured and he is being saved by one of his soldier and you know taken away from in in on the horseback now there is this thing where you know people say that you know why did prithviraj chauhan did not you know pursue those forces which are you know running away from the battlefield prithviraj chauhan had this opportunity to kill uh, to kill mohammad or mohammad gori at that point of time itself so that you know he would have not come back and you know defeated him so what are views on this you know do, do we do we do we get anything on why he didn't chase you know gori maybe due to some kind of you know some kind of a rule of the uh, chatriya clan what is actually said uh, often times in mainstream i, I think you you're probably referring to that that you know prithviraj had uh, opportunity to uh, exterminate gori 
multiple right. times and he let, let him leave hmm. so that that that's not actually true and and we you know uh, he keeps saying a lot of numbers he left him seven times 17 times or whatever mm-hmm. uh first of all they they didn't have those many encounters person to person or full blown battles like that what has happened is that uh there were a lot of border skirmishes or you know raiding parties or patrolling parties colliding with each other uh, between the chauhans and the gurits and uh, that that happened in the late 1180s period the span which is before the rain mm-hmm. so those small level encounters have been you know uh, i would say amplified or extrapolated into full blown battles by the indian side okay Uh, to to kind of fill up for the loss uh, maybe uh, or I, i don't know they they basically they, they were in the habit of doing exaggerations right that, that was yeah. one of the things that our poets uh, they were uh, favorite thing to indulge in so anyway but the muslim sources they completely omit uh, these uh, minor skirmishes or uh, anything like because it doesn't fit their narrative of glorification if you don't get much out of it then you don't mention it right. so that, that's what has happened the muslim sources speak of only two major battles between prithviraj and gauri and the hindu sources would speak of 15 10 27 8 22 so what has happened is that those are skirmishes which have been amplified into full blown battle by our side and the muslim side has completely uh, omitted that so that's one part number 2 uh, why did he let him leave and all see uh, the, the point of letting gori leave uh, or setting him free uh, that has happened only once okay not many times if at all it ha- it happened it happened only once right now coming to uh, was it justified uh, that's a bit tough to answer because yeah, everybody would have very intense views about it but the way i see it is uh it was a norm in the medieval age that uh, when you have been victorious over your rival king uh often times i mean i mean what i'm trying to say is that this wasn't something out of the blue and extraordinary which prithviraj did you know a foolish thing it was a norm of that age so what happens is that once you have defeated your rival king one of the three things or you know any kind of permutation combination that you want to imagine you, you would see examples of all all of the, these uh, either that king would be charged war indemnities that okay i fought with you this much is my cost you reimburse right or he would be put up under regular tax or tribute payment that okay every year twice every year you pay me this much sum from now onwards okay you, you are bound to do that as a subordinate or uh, a part of his kingdom would be carved out and merged with the kingdom of this victorious guy or he will install his own king or vassal there but this guy loses a part of his land so one of these three things or many of these any combination would happen and there are n number of you know plenty of examples throughout our history where such a thing has been done okay so that that's number one so this wasn't wasn't something you know unforeseen or oh my god what has he done it was part of the norm of that age now 
doing that against the malaysia king yes the, to some extent you can raise an objection to that but then this ties into a wider issue wider issue because then we can say that most of the indians of that time they failed in studying the doctrine which was operating behind these powers or understand the how, how nefarious it was or maybe even if they understood some other geopolitical or socio cultural reasons were hampering their efforts to you know properly combat it so either way uh, that that's what happened now uh, there's there's one thing that i i, I wanted to mention that uh, this pardon this pardon of worry which happened just once was not in the terrain first mm. it did not happen in the first battle of the rhine what my studies or analysis have led me to conclude is that there was one more battle between prithviraj chauhan and shahabuddin ghori and it happened before the two battles of the rhine this battle takes place in 1182-83 ad uh, around the river bed of satluj between bikam bikampur and multan okay so why i'm saying this is that uh, if you look at the uh, explanation which is given about the, the battle in hamir mahakavi yeah. it says that after prithviraj chauhan had defeated gauri uh, he gauri tried seven more times to you know take revenge on that humiliation and every time he was beaten back it was the eighth attempt where gauri succeeded okay now think of it i mean we, we can't say that gauri was foolish right I mean, you can basically criticize your own king okay he was silly okay he was foolish but the enemy who has defeated him he wasn't foolish at least right okay right. so between tarain first and tarain second we are saying that gauri tried seven times to you know basically uh take revenge on that humiliation how how is it you know reasonably possible in the pe- period of one year factually only one year elapsed between tarain first and tarain second how can gauri try seven times in that period of 12 months i mean even if you do your homework even if you make proper preparations and come back it easily takes six months to do it you know one more iteration okay so it's simply not possible to do even three iterations forget about seven let's say it's an exaggeration you can't even do it twice or thrice within the same year okay so how do you reconcile with that you can reconcile with it by observing that the battle after which gauri tried seven more times has actually it is actually the satluj battle of 1182-83 ad and from there if you come to the satran second that's easily 19 years right and in those 19 years you can easily have 5 6 7 number of attempts to you know come back and, and be victorious so that that's one thing which explains it yeah second reason why the pardon happened in satluj battle is uh like i said if you might have noticed after his victory prithviraj chauhan had seized not him personally he obviously might have gone back to look after his kingdom he he would have left a part of his army to take back that garrison fort of sarhind right and we know 
from the muslim sources uh, that that fort was not captured uh, at least for 8 9 months for many many months it could not be captured okay so think about it if prithviraj had you know the battle in which he won and he so supposedly pardoned gauri so if gauri is at mercy of prithviraj he has been defeated he has been captured now prithviraj can easily and simply force him to accept his conditions uh, and say that okay i mean if someone is at your mercy you can easily kill him he is completely at your mercy you can easily ask him hey bhaiya you uh, tell your people to empty that garrison fort of sarhan i want it back so if uh, you know shahabuddin gori wanted to live he would have happily agreed to that condition i mean it's it's just a minor thing at that point of time he, he would have obviously asked for a lot more but that's one minor thing uh, which gori would have happily agreed if he was a captive and he was you know pardoned by prithviraj right but we know that that didn't happen hmm. right so that that's why this pardon cannot happen in tarain first because after that the garrison was not emptied which means gori was not a captive after tarain first so if he was a captive and he was let go that can happen only in the uh, battle of satluj and the 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 uh, solid evidence for existence of such a battle to have happened comes in uh, literature as well as inscriptions so there there is the uh, this I'm again forgetting the name uh, susani mata or uh, some uh, there was a temple inscription uh, found in falodi okay uh, which which says that uh, the officers of prithviraj chauhan used to go regularly to ghazni to collect tribute taxes from gauri from the gurids oh okay. the same thing the same thing is repeated by hindu texts multiple hindu texts that officers of prithviraj chauhan used to go to ghazni to collect taxes from shahabuddin gauri okay so i mean yeah that that's how we can tell it with reasonable confidence that such a thing has happened and this was the first clash yeah oh damn this is interesting this 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 particular part where you know the the, the battle which took place near satluj is has not been mentioned anywhere in fact i would i would also like for example uh, you have this website called britannica okay uh, there also this has not been mentioned wikipedia is not been mentioned and uh, this famous book of jawaharlal nehru which is called discovery of india which is highly highly you know i guess uh, it, uh, it it's uh, the kind of history which he mentions is a, is a, is a heresy you know uh, basically <laughs> i mean go, going by the popular myths and popular legends not like you know delving into the text or you know researching a bit uh, that kind of a book it is but unfortunately it's so hit that you know people still read it but nowhere it is said that you know the first encounter which happens between uh, prithviraj chauhan and gauri is near the in, in near the banks of satluj and then after that this two uh, battle of the rains happens and then you know we see what what basically you know you know happens with these two characters so other thing you know which is which is usually been shown in lot many documentaries and lot many you know articles is that 
Prithviraj Chauhan was able to kill Mohammad Ghori. So technically it is said that you know Prithviraj Chauhan was captured and he was taken to his place. And then uh, Gauri asked him that, uh, show me that you have the talent of, uh, with hearing uh, hearing a sound, you can uh, shoot an arrow. So show me that talent of yours before I kill you, which is called Shabd Vedi Baan. And there suddenly, you know, uh, Chand Bardai also comes up, who kind of uh, uh, requests Gauri to, to, to witness this particular talent of Prithviraj Chauhan. And then in this whole story where, you know, he uh, Gori calls Prithviraj Chauhan three times to shoot the arrow and uh, somehow Chand Bardai in, in a very in, in a very cryptly manner says uh, says about you know where Gauri is sitting and how much how much the length is between the position of Prithviraj Chauhan and Gauri and Prithviraj Chauhan kind of uh, kills him I mean shoots the arrow uh, on his neck and Gauri dies and then after that you know Chand Bardai uh, com- commits suicide after killing uh, Prithviraj Chauhan so is this story true was was is this really happened I and mean, by listening this this feels like something to be a very amazing story and you know kind of you know the kind of revenge which uh, mohammad gori oh, sorry which prithviraj chauhan took on mohammad gori but is there any uh, factual basis on this sir unfortunately not <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah so the the death of prithviraj chauhan uh, if, if we come to that part um so um Prithviraj's uh, demise or the end has happened in uh, the city of Ajmer, his his capital. Oh, in his capital, Ajmer. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, if you if you look at the sources uh, on on this part, the two uh, earliest sources, meaning closest to the Battle of Tarain, uh, sources on the Islamic side. That's. Uh, uh, Tajul Masir and uh, Jawamiul Hikayat, uh, a few years after Tarain second, uh, they were written. Them and then come to the Hindu side, two of the closest sources to Tarain, uh, that's uh, Prabandh Chintamani and uh, Kanya Naini Mahavir Pratimakar. Uh, it's a Jain text, both are Jain texts actually. So, uh, those two. So, the four texts which are closest to the bat- battle of Tarain, they you know the their information concurs on the same conclusion that prithviraj chauhan was captured taken to ajmer and there after few weeks of residing there as a captive he was killed on orders of gauri so that that's that's what has happened and uh, yeah i mean initially uh, so if you look at the policy of Shahabuddin Ghori after Tarain II, uh, he has uh, actually, his, his priority was to ensure that the transition of power is as smooth as possible. Because if you, you know, thrust in, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's easier said than done and the ramifications can, you know, completely nullify your gains uh, on the battlefield. So you have to be pragmatic in the political chambers after that victory on the battlefield. So what Gauri did was, his preference was that some Hindu vassal uh, should be installed uh, as a vassal, uh, obviously, some Hindu king who can rule under me, under my authority. And I would delegate, you know, the management of this newly acquired land 
to some hindu ruler only okay the reason was again like i said so that the transition is smooth okay that's number one now why how, how can you confirm that you confirm this from the coinage uh, the, the coinage which gauri had uh, brought in uh, for the chauhan kingdom as well as the uh, gaharwal coinage once he defeated uh, jaichand gaharwal uh, two years after tarang so there as well uh, if you see there is a, a gradual phasing out uh, of the indian motifs so what has happened is uh, first he brings up a version of joint coinage where on one side it's him and on the other side it's some uh, hindu goddess or some hindu symbol or figure okay and the script is nagari the indian script then gradually he brings up points where on both sides uh, it is islamic uh, symbols uh, the script is still nagari okay and then after that comes the uh, coinage where uh even the script is uh, arabic okay so this gradual phasing or transition in coinage was again uh done to ensure that there are no financial shocks as well as there is no you know some kind of disorder or anarchy which could uh, create an environment for rewards so he was careful enough in the field of finance as well as he was careful enough to you know uh in in the field of politics so he he wanted to uh the preference was that prithviraj should accept the uh, uh superiority of gauri so become a vassal of uh, gauri that's what he wanted that's the reason why uh, when he could have easily beheaded prithviraj in the field of tarain itself yet he brings him as a captive in ajmer and he tries everything that okay i'll still make you king just under my uh, superiority as a vassal you can still have your life you can still have your kingdom or uh, then torture as well i believe because multiple sources tell us that he was blind uh, and uh, so accordingly <clears throat> what i'm trying to say is that uh, he he tried to convince prithviraj by all means possible that you just accept my be, being my vassal and, uh, and that that would be it and no other issues but uh, now since we know prithviraj being prithviraj he, he had no you know no such idea or concept in his dictionary that he would accept uh, being under a malich and so he 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 refused i mean he could have saved his life right you you have your kingdom you have your life just uh, accept his superiority that that's all but he didn't do that and that that was one of the major reasons he he lost his life so yeah okay okay got it so, so i think well, as you mentioned there are a lot many things which are totally uh, false when it comes to the life of prithviraj chauhan and it also so it also shows that you know prithviraj chauhan till the end of his life was very much committed towards uh, his kingdom and towards his kingship and uh, though he had this opportunity of accepting the suzerainty of gori but he didn't do that and kind of sacrificed his life for his kingdom or even his nation so after the end of the rule of prithviraj chauhan just to conclude this whole episode uh, what was the future of the uh, chahaman dynasty you know after his death what what happened uh, to ajmer was ajmer was again reclaimed by some other king or was it lost 
what happened basically after the death of prithviraj chauhan so after the death of prithviraj uh, the, the if you see the immediate aftermath uh, i i think we've uh, been through that so there was pocketed resistance fierce but pocketed resistance to the uh, gurit uh, control uh, and uh, then came the resistance from his uh, younger brother uh, prithviraj's younger brother uh, younger by one and a half years his name was hariraj chauhan uh, who was again for some reason unknown to us but not present in the second battle of tarain and that's how he had survived uh, he he like his brother was against uh, any compromise with the foreign power so what gauri had done after having prithviraj killed in ajmer he installed the minor son and the only son of prithviraj uh, named govindraj the uh, fourth on the throne he installed the uh, minor son which was uh, you know a, a sensible choice for him i mean if you if you put up someone uh in his 20s or 30s he would have a tendency to you know flex his uh, flex his muscles and uh, you could have a rebellion so to to put up a minor uh, of that age you know not too small and not to to too much into uh adulthood so that was a good uh, choice from perspective of uh, worry so he installed the minor son of prithviraj on the throne and he returned leaving kutubuddin abak of course as the uh boss in india mm. so then hariraj uh he comes in and he dethrones the his his nephew uh who was obviously uh, installed by compromise with the foreign power so he dethroned his nephew who then ran away to ranthambor which actually later on developed into a major chauhan stronghold for for a century more so then uh, hariraj comes in and uh, he removes prithviraj uh, uh, son govindraj chauhan uh, from the throne of ajmer uh, who uh, govindraj then goes to ranthambor uh, then from ajmer uh, hariraj first of all what he does is he does the last rites of prithviraj chauhan uh, those were done by hariraj chauhan which again confirms or gives support to the theory that the death was in ajmer so uh, the, he does the last rites of prithviraj and then uh, hariraj from ajmer he sends uh, repeated uh, this thing uh, he sends out uh, raid parties up to delhi okay and but then if you look at it these were more of uh, desperate swings in front of a, a calculated and, and an organized enemy okay so eventually the tide was turned and uh, hariraj was uh, surrounded in ajmer uh, and it is said that he ended his life before captured by the gurit forces okay uh, which i mean he might have seen uh, or heard uh, what happened to his brother so he preferred to end his life so then prithviraj's son who, who was uh, still alive in ranthambore through him the royal lineage survived and uh, they they kept fighting the muslim armies for 100 more years even after tarain 2 uh, then like i said initially uh, there was one more chauhan branch in chandavar in in up they probably migrated after tarain 
so it was led by bharatpal chauhan which is uh, documented in muslim sources as uh, bhartu so this guy and his branch they kept fighting the muslim armies for 35 more years after the rhine 2 and if you read the muslim sources they describe in a very bitter and painful tone uh, as to how many you know soldiers of islam uh, that this these guys had killed so they i think did a very fierce resistance uh, which is why these sources were uh, explaining it in a better tone so Uh, to summarize it uh, all these sacrifices and the the dent of keeping the resistance on even in the most uh, uh, dire circumstances yeah this is the basis of our survival uh, through that entire millennia these thousand years right. with intact identity as hindus so them not giving up on those uh, critical occasions and making those sacrifices uh, it, it didn't just save their own direct descendants or clans i mean it, it was for everyone across the strata of society be it hindus jains buddhists i mean everyone absolutely so, yeah absolutely and i think i think the kind of invasions which started which commenced from 1000 ad uh i think that was kind of a some kind of i guess karmic retribution for hindus you know because as you said uh, we were uh, uh, losing out battles in in a very critical moment right and kind of they, they were kind of a watershed moments for indian history uh then you you had this whole uh, maratha uh, period where they ruled for you know more than two decades uh, more than two centuries basically and then you had this british and now we are you know uh, after in 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 20th century in the latter half of the 20th century we gained our independence and you know we are a free country now so of course this provides a lot of lessons regarding the life of prithviraj chauhan and the kind of falsification which is there you know which is currently still floating uh on internet on 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 the national discourse regarding him uh, and regarding certain other characters like you know uh, jay chand or or uh, princess anyogita uh yeah so i mean even uh, people people who are historians or authors of books uh unfortunately indulge in that yeah yeah unfortunately and and, and in fact it is the first prime minister of india has indulged in that so that says a lot about you know uh, that another kind of uh, myth has been created around his life uh, so thank you thank you so much sir, for taking our time for this important episode and i really appreciate that you know uh, you, you came on board to record this session with us and i really hope that you know we will again record many more sessions on different rulers or different rajput clans of different uh, you know uh, mewad and mawad clans you know i have i i have been always fascinated by by rajasthan its culture and the kind of cultures which are still intact in that particular land of india so uh, hoping that you know you would again come for another interesting episode and for the readers uh, for the listeners and readers i would say this that please please buy his book uh, there are a lot many details which virendra ji has you know set out in in in, in his book uh, uh, 
which would be very much interesting for you to know and to kind of understand Samrat Prithviraj Chauhan and uh, about his story and about his accomplishments and the defeat and the whole life of Prithviraj Chauhan. Thank you so much for listening out guys and we'll see we'll see you in the next episode. Namaste. Mm-hmm.